0: Drabblecast episode 207. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So back in Baltimore, had a great time on the road trip. Thanks a ton to everyone who offered to put me up and hang out. Wish I could have made it out to everybody who offered. There's just never enough time. But good being with you Drabblecast fans that it did work out with. It's a fantastic network of weirdos out there we've got across the old U.S. of A. Next sojourn, we'll have to be with you cephalopods overseas, kinda jonesing to get stung by something in Australia. Hmm. Well, that's all well and good, but for this week's show, we're earthbound, grounded, fastened down. Our story this week is Pinion by Stellan Thorne. The bird enthusiasts out there will know that pinioning is when you bind or remove the wing feathers of a bird so that it can't fly anywhere so that you can then teach it to say, I can't get it up, setting you up for hours of that's-what-she-said fun. But birds aren't the only ones who get their wings clipped. Well, in the literal sense, maybe, but all sorts of events in life can leave us human folk feeling the same way. Let's plunge in with the hundred-word story, shall we? That's what she said. This week's Drabble comes to us from Nathan Lee, and it's called And the Sky and the Ground and the Cold, Cold Air. Nathan holds the all-time Drabblecast record for most Drabbles produced on the show. He's had at least six or seven so far. The guy's a 100-word powerhouse. Check out his website at mirrorshards.org for daily Drabbles and other goodness. He sat on the floor of his apartment. The wind whistled through the window, cold and taunting. He had no furniture. The carpet in the corner was torn up a little at the edges, but his bleeding fingers had failed at the task in the end, leaving crimson smears on the padding. He stared outside. There were sirens now, on the street, where his furnishings were piled and smashed from the fall. He had not achieved lift. He was still too heavy. He looked around. The bare apartment contained nothing else. He stood. He breathed in he began to run. And again, our feature story this week is Pinion by Stellan Thorne. Stellan's a writer, mostly of speculative fiction, and when he's not writing, he can usually be spotted sunning himself gently by the light of a monitor, or rolling polyhedral dice behind a cardboard screen. On rare occasions, he's been spotted going outdoors. He lives in Manchester, which is possibly the best city in the world, where he does various queer and geeky things. So without further ado, we bring you Pinion by Stellan Thorne. The witness was beautiful in a way that was almost hard to look at. His face was abstract and fashionable, all eyes and angles, with a luminous innocence too perfect to be entirely sincere. Detective Grayling wondered idly how that face would look with a fat lip, like a magazine cover, probably, a model fresh off a photo shoot, Saturday night fight fashion, a little trickle of blood down one corner of his mouth like smudged lipstick. Cigarette? Grayling asked. Please. He leaned over the table to offer a light, sparks off a grinding wheel, cheap plastic sticky in his hands. I don't usually smoke. Not cigarettes, at least, Grayling thought. He lit up his own, the two cherries pointed away from each other like strabismic eyes glowing in the gloom. I guess I'm still a bit shaky, The witness smiled, quick and charming, the kind of smile that knows it is currency. The exchange rate was low here in Grayling's territory. He hated charm, hated its tawdry uses, but he nodded. We just need your statement, he said. The tape recorder was spinning slowly. I've told the officer at the front desk everything already. Just a little schoolboy wheedling in his tone, a little note of, oh, do I have to? Grayling smiled. It was not charming. This is for the official record, please. He gestured at the tape recorder. The witness cleared his throat with an actor's skill and began. I was robbed by an angel last night. Nobody had wanted the case. He's high or he's a liar, the desk sergeant had said. Angels don't rob people. On the first two points, Grayling agreed. He wasn't sure on the last. In the end, he'd ended up with the case. Better that than hear some rookie piss and moan when it landed in their lap. He went around the neighborhood with a rough sketch and saw faces shudder with suspicion. They had seen the suspect, he was sure of that, but they kept their silence. He thought of returning later when he was off-duty, sidle up sideways to his questions in dive bars and on street corners. He thought better of it almost instantly. He'd never been good even at that half-undercover kind of work that had been Mayor's thing. Mayor with his blankly handsome looks. Grayling's face, once seen, was hard to forget. In any case, he seemed to always wear an invisible uniform. He spoke and smelled like a cop. He ducked into a corner store. The pack of cigarettes tucked in his inside pocket was empty already. This was looking like a two-pack day. He laid his money down on the counter. The clerk held it up to the light before giving him his smokes. He took out the sketch and brandished it at the clerk. You wouldn't happen to have seen… No habla ingles, he said in a flat midwestern accent and grinned. With slow clarity, Grayling saw himself grabbing the clerk by his collar, dragging him across the counter, breaking his nose. There was no joy in the fantasy. It was like a worn film reel looping methodically inside his head. He turned away, crumpling the sketch in his hand. Then he saw it through the window, a flash of nacreous white, a winged figure. It was standing not 15 yards away on the side of the street, watching him. He was out the door in a moment, Hey! He started towards it, taking swift strides. Hey! Stop right there! It froze for a moment, wings outstretched. They looked terribly fragile, a delicate latticework of feathers. Then it ran, and Grayling took off after. It ducked under a firescape, tucking its wings in close. A few steps away, beyond the building, Grayling could see the blue of empty sky. With lungs-like bellows, the great engine of his heart clanking, Grayling ran. A few more feet, and they'd be out from the firescape. Those wings would pump once, twice, and his suspect would be gone. He lunged, all the world contracting. He hadn't moved this fast in years. He landed hard, but upright, and the angel was beneath him. He kneeled down on the curving joint of a wing. Great muscles strained up underneath him. That fine fragility was a con. One hand came down on the angel's head. Its hair was duckling soft and tangled hard, jerking upwards. You're not going anywhere. His breathing was labored, paunch and nicotine conspiring. You have the right. A massive wing-heave nearly lifted him, nearly sent him sprawling. For a moment, he rode the angel like a bronco-buster. His heart was wild with pain, chest burning. Then, victory. It sagged beneath him, breathing slowly. He cuffed together long, lovely wrists, then bent back one wing at a painful angle. The angel cried out with a voice like a tuning fork. Try to use these, Grayling said. And you'll get a bullet through them. That's a promise. You're under arrest. The angel was locked in the back of Grayling's car and he just got off the radio. He wished, for the first time in months, for a partner, any partner, even a whining rookie, just someone else to make the calls while he was trying to catch his breath. He looked in the rearview mirror at the suspect. The angel was gray and white. A layer of city grime had settled lightly on his essential cleanliness. The wings, massive in the back seat, quivered like wind-caught sheets. I'm a messenger of the Most Holy, the angel said. There was no arrogance in its voice, just a calm surety. Grayling lit a cigarette. He couldn't think of driving just yet. You're a thief. Wings shrugged like a cat raising its hackles. The angel's eyes were colorless in the mirror, like water or wind. I don't understand. Uh, The man you robbed, you don't remember that? Uh, Robbed? They looked alike, a little, Grayling thought, the angel and the victim. That same invisible prettiness, so hard to sully. You threatened him, took his guitar and his wallet? Uh, Yes, I was protecting him, Grayling snorted. Oh, yeah? From what? Playing bad music? The angel was silent. (laughs) So what? Are you his guardian angel or something? Yes. A low anger rose like an ulcer. It figures the charming boy got an angel all to his own to protect him. His fingers tightened on the steering wheel. Well, he turned you in, so I'm taking you in. He started the car. It took several tries, fingers fumbling with the key. Wings blocked the window in the mirror. He stuck his head out the window and carefully maneuvered onto the streets. Jason Grayling, the angel said, will you not let me go? He grimaced. That's Detective Grayling to you, and I strongly advise you use your right to remain silent. I have done what is right. Again, that calm surety, that tone of the innocent or the insane. Grayling supposed the angel fell somewhere in between. Will you not let me go? Shut up, he said. He was still shaking, he noticed. His heart would not calm. He sucked at the cigarette dangling hands-free between his lips. The ash fell in his lap. He missed Mayer with sudden fierceness. He would have handled this better, his old partner. Mayer was never shaken, not by anything. Grayling only had the armor of his cynicism, imperfect protection against miraculous things. A feather brushed his neck so lightly. The tip of a wing slid in between the cross-hatched metal partitioning backseat from front. He flinched away at first, then pounded the cage. It left diamond-shaped imprints on his hand. Your heart is known in heaven, the angel said, and all things that you are blackmail, grayling thought vaguely. His hand ached. His lungs ached. Maybe he should consider retiring. The traffic was impenetrable before them, loud with horns and smoke. Again, there came the soft brush of a feather against his cheek this time. He swallowed, Adam's apple shifting painfully in his throat. Charm. You'll want to stop that, he said, voice level, or you'll end up stuffing a pillow. The angel dropped its wing. In the mirror, eyes shone like light on waves. The angel made bail. Grayling never found out how, and it vanished. The paperwork was useless. There was no name, no address, only an elegant sigil the angel had consented to scrawl as its signature before being processed as a John Doe and put in an empty cell. Marching past the holding tank, Grayling had heard the howls and hoots of the day's catch, seeing fingers reaching out grubby-greedy for frail-looking wings. The victim called a few days later. Grayling never spoke to him, but there was a message left on the desk. The stolen things had been returned, anonymously. The case was closed, no need to look further, except he was still finding feathers in the back seat of his car a week later, and other places. They drifted into his path. once into his coffee, a small tuft floating in its oily black surface. He fished it out and looked skyward, where there was nothing but clouds and wires. He lulled himself to sleep at home with windows cracked, just enough to let the sounds in, and when he woke, he found feathers clinging to the windowsills. Pigeons, he told himself. He took one between his fingers, turning it. The shaft was pearly white, the barbs shimmered like silver. Pigeons, like hell. He didn't catch the angel watching him until after a week of night shifts. Coming home in the light, that's what did it. Hard to miss that stretch of wings, perched like a gargoyle on a cornice across the street. It looked fresh from the sky, sun-washed and brilliant. Grayling shut the curtains with a hard tug. If he, if it, came here, landed on his narrow balcony, he'd have every right to shoot it. He still had his old thirty-eight revolver, kept it oiled and loaded. There was a rustling. Wings scraping his windowsill. No time to get his old thirty-eight. His new service revolver would have to do. Wings mounted over his fireplace. What happens to men that kill angels? Instead of shooting, he opened the curtains, opened the window. The angel came in. You've been following me, Grayling said. Will you take me into custody? It almost sounded like a joke. Grayling smiled. Why are you here?" The angel reached for him, long, perfect fingers outstretched. Grayling sidestepped the possibility of touch. What the hell do I have that you could want? The angel shook long, downy hair. I have to show you. Please. Show me what? There is something gone wrong. Jason Grayling, will you not let me show you? Every word sounded like a prayer from that mouth, sweet as a bell. If he had to be charmed, at least it took this creature. He stepped forward, mouth gone dry. You have to see. The angel's wings were massive around him and silver-edged, wavering between their form and their function. Here, where he could touch them, they were as strong as a swan's wing. They could break limbs. Where angels lived, they were as strong as the laws of physics. Between those wings, the world shook. And he saw, the whole of his life, like a sphere in his hand, where it began and where it ended. How, on a perfect summer day, with laughter and the scent of frying onions in the air, he thought, it will never be better than this. How he went to the roof with his old 38 cradled in his hands, and took a last long look at the sky, waiting for wings. He stepped out of the white parabola. And you don't come. The angel's perfect mouth turned down, a sculpture of despair. You were never further away from me. Grayling laughed. (laughs) It's your fault, isn't it? That's why you're here. How did it end without you? 60, 70, with my liver shot, huh? Or in a cheap home, and that would have been better? You have to live. For how long? For your lifetime. Angel's wingtips sliced through time. Their colorless eyes saw the whole of things. A stolen guitar, a feather in a cup of coffee. What consequences things had. And even Angel's made mistakes. He had become a ragged edge, a loose thread. He smiled. He wasn't being fair, not at all. But then, what was? (laughs) Then you'll have to keep watching me. He took a desk job. It was that or get used to a new partner. He could have, he supposed, but didn't want to. Didn't want to settle for second best. So he made a home behind his big metal slab stamping paperwork. It didn't matter. He was too tired for ambition. A week after the angel left, two wingbeats, and into the air from the railing of his balcony, he went to visit Mayer's grave. He liked it, simple. Another tombstone in a neat row under the shade of an ash tree. He didn't stay long. He went home, went on with his life. Some days he finds feathers floating around him like a memory of snow and smiles. Maybe one day when it's summer and the sky is blue gorgeous and shaky with heat, he'll go up to the roof and he'll wait for wings. And that was our story, hope you enjoyed it. If you did, or if you're just a general fan of the Drabblecast, I should remind you that we rely on your generous support to keep the show going each week. You can sign up for a $5 a month automatic subscription or 10 bucks a month if that's in your budget and you'd be helping us out immensely. You can also donate once in any amount. You'll find these options off our homepage at Drabblecast.org. We really appreciate it. Just like we appreciate this week's kick-ass donor of the week, Jake Sower. Jake's a web developer originally from Utah, now living in Washington, D.C. He enjoys designing and playing games of all varieties, and his other hobbies include writing terrifically convoluted programs to do simple things, such as pausing music on remote computers. Whoa. Thanks a ton, Jake. You demand. So, next order of business here. This week's episode art is a Bow joint. Yes, another cover from our resident Drabblecast art director, who assures all the episode artists out there waiting for projects that he only hits in a pinch. But hey, while we're on the subject of art in waiting, a little announcement. We're launching a grand adventure, a revising of Drabblecast history, the Drabblecast Art Reclamation Project. What the hell? No, this isn't because of another Sarah Palin gaffe. You see, before episode 133, the Travelcast wasn't quite the Bradburyan illustrated man flexing its enormous tattooed muscles that it is now each and every week. It was just like every other average everyday podcast out there, unlabeled, malnourished, and other negative sounding adjectives. We had not yet clutched the visual aesthetic to our throbbing, hirsute teat. There was no episode art, but this, my friends. This is a new dawn. A new Drabblecast website is coming in our near future, and we want all our episodes up to snuff. We're formally inviting our awesome volunteer artist corps, and anyone else listening, to stake a claim on old episodes, and give them a face, make them feel loved, just visit the catchy and easy to remember URL, http colon forward slash forward slash web.me.com forward slash Norm Sherman, forward slash site with a capital S forward slash or click the link on our show notes to call dibs and art all over your favorite legacy stories from the Drabblecast past. There you'll find all the info you need in order to hop aboard the great art reclamation project, and feel free to email Drabblecast at yahoo.com if you have any questions. You artists rock. We love working with you squids. Alrighty, it's TwitFic time. Each week we run a contest in our discussion forums open to anyone to see who can write the best story with only 100 characters, not counting spaces. We pick a winner and post it on the Drabblecast Twitter feed, at the Drabblecast. Follow us there if you're so inclined, and get the winners early each week. Or participate by going to the TwitFic section or discussion forums and posting your own 100-character story. This week's winner was by first-time twabbler, Ashley, and it goes a little something like this... My blind date giggled when I said I had skeletons in my closet. Don't we all? She said. Spearing another olive, I smiled. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've been on a few creepy blind dates with people like that lately. But where else am I supposed to put those damn things? All right, folks, that's our show. Remember, it's produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but give it away all you like. Write us a review on your blog, review us on iTunes, or wherever. Spread the weird. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of Associate Editor Matthew Bay, a chick named Olive impaled on a gruesome pike, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you that we no in glace.